Good morning. Our reading this morning is from Mark chapter 10, verses 35 to 45. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're uh, about halfway through our series on uh, 12 steps of discipleship, and today uh, we're on yet another step. And I, I just want to begin by reminding you what discipleship is all about in a very simple statement. Discipleship is about following Jesus. Pure and simple. That's what discipleship is. And when we follow Jesus, it's absolutely necessary that we serve the way Jesus served. So today the topic is choosing service. You notice from the passage that was read a few moments ago, it was from Mark's gospel, that uh, two disciples were asking Jesus if he would do them a favor. Can you help us out here? Can one of us sit on your right and one of us on your left? That'd be great, Jesus. And Jesus said, you don't understand what you're asking for. Actually, in Matthew's gospel, Matthew puts it in the words and the voice of the mother speaking on behalf of the sons. Now, I don't know if you've taken a look closely at the Gospels, but periodically the Gospels have different perspectives on the same event. And we don't know exactly why. But I I just have this crazy imagination, okay? It's really got nothing to do with the text, but I thought I'd share it with you because it's been bumping around in my head all week. It's like, why did Matthew blame it on the mothers? And why did... Mark say it was the sons. So I, I imagine this dialogue between Matthew and Mark. And Matthew says, come on now, Mark. You excluded the mother. You knew full well that she was the one who said it. And Mark said to Matthew, yeah, but you know full well they said it too. And they banter back and forth for a little bit. And finally, Matthew says, okay, okay, have it your way. Neither one of us is wrong, but I'm going to make sure the mother gets blamed because she was blameworthy too. 
I, I just think it's fun to think about what was it that went into the description concerning events like this. So from one perspective, you only hear the disciples speaking. From another, you hear mother on behalf of the disciples. And then in a third passage in Luke chapter 22, we actually hear a little different version of it. And in that version, Luke says the disciples were arguing with each other about who was going to be the greatest. It was sort of like background noise. And Jesus turns around and interrupts them and rebukes them and says, are you kidding me? You're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. I just love the variety of the gospels. I don't see it as contradiction. I see it as enlightening. But let's remember something. What the disciples were asking Jesus was not uncommon. Actually, it was a respected tradition. If you're following the master, you want to be as close to the master as possible. And as a matter of fact, you hear all kinds of counsel about leadership and pursuing leadership and being great and being the best. We all know those lines. So really, it's quite natural for them to ask a question like this. Can we be with you on your right and your left? There's another reason it might have been sort of natural. I'm giving the disciples the benefit of the doubt here because I think I need the benefit of the doubt and so do you because we act just like them, right? The disciples in Matthew chapter 19 had already heard a comment by Jesus to them that in his kingdom someday they would be, there would be 12 thrones and each of them would sit on a throne of authority. Now factor that into this scenario. The disciples are saying, you're talking about the kingdom. You're talking about thrones, and we're going to sit on thrones. Can I beat your right and your left? Selective hearing is interesting, isn't it? Very interesting. We hear what we want to hear. In most of these passages, the description about servanthood, it's not excluded the kingdom of God and sitting on the throne. But what wraps around the kingdom of God is stories about children and the kingdom is like them. Stories about servants and stories about Jesus' impending death. He's setting the stage for them. He's helping them understand what true leadership in the kingdom of God looks like. And what did they hear? Oh, we're going to sit on thrones. Can I be on the right? And him on the left. Can I be the vice president and him the secretary of state? We want to be up there in an exalted position. I think also a part of this text that's fascinating is that in both sections, in Mark and Matthew, you see that the other disciples, when they realized what were happening, they got furious with the disciples who'd asked. They were angry. Maybe they were jealous because the disciples were close enough to Jesus to ask him the question. Maybe they were jealous because they didn't have the courage to speak their mind and ask the question themselves. Maybe they were jealous because mom asked the question for them. We don't know. Righteous indignation is really dangerous, isn't it? Maybe, maybe, I'm just guessing, The others were no more humble than the disciples who ask. 
they all had the same question. It's only two people that articulated it. Second thing about this passage is fascinating is Jesus' response. His, his response is provocative, unexpected, and should have blown them back in their seats. He said, this is not for me to decide. It's for my father to decide. So what are you asking me for? The kingdom has not completely arrived. When it completely arrives, assignments are going to be made. And you just need to be patient and wait, and my father will give you your assignments. And furthermore, it's clear to me, says Jesus, you don't even understand what I'm talking about because you don't know what's coming. Again, this is right before his death. Can you drink the cup I'm about to drink, he says? Can you go through what I'm about ready to go through? You want to say to yourself, well, how did they know what he was going to go through? Well, he had actually told them. Can you endure that, says Jesus? And then he kind of answers his own question by saying, yes, you can because you will. You're going there with me and you're going to suffer like I am going to suffer. That's what it means to serve. Can you endure the baptism that I'm going to be immersed in, the torrent of waves? Yes, you can, and yes, you will. But you have to understand what it means. There's a corrective now that Jesus offers. And here's the corrective. He basically says this in so many words. Look around your world and do the opposite. Look around your world at the pecking order. Now be different. Look around your world at the person who's clamoring to get around the leader so he or she can be next in line and do the opposite. The corrective is exactly the opposite of what you've been taught. The first will be last to the point of death. That's how you are to be my servants. Of course, it was a a statement concerning his servants to his disciples that he would give his life as a ransom for many. Now this turn. If we are choosing service to be servants like Jesus, there's always a fly in the ointment, right? There's always a way in which we hear what has been said and we turn towards what we think is proper discipleship. And before long, we find ourselves being self-righteous. Richard Foster is um, a very famous author who wrote a book, Celebration of Discipline, and he has one whole chapter on service. And in that chapter, he makes a distinction, which I, I think is helpful, and I want to give you the distinction he makes between what he calls true service and self-righteous service. Self-righteous service. It relies on human effort. But true service 
emerges from a relationship with God. Self-righteous service. It's impressed with the big deal. But true service makes no distinction. That's important because pride is seductive and it could make a small thing big. Self-righteous service requires external rewards and true service rests in hiddenness. Self-righteous service is concerned with results, but true service doesn't calculate. If, if you're not feeling uncomfortable, I don't know why. Because even reading these makes me feel uncomfortable. Self-centered service is concerned with results. And self-centered service, because of that, it picks who it will serve. But true service is indiscriminate. It just looks for the need. Self-service, self-righteous service is affected by mood swings. Sometimes we're just in the mood to be nice and other times we're not. Sometimes we're in the mood to serve and other times we're not. But true service uh, is not like that. It's just free giving all the time. Self-righteous service is temporary. Functioning only when particular acts are needed. But, listen to this. True service is a lifestyle that is constantly looking for the need. Not manufacturing a way you can serve to make yourself feel better. Just looking for the need. Self-righteous service is insensitive and true service is not sensitive at all. You serve whether you get credit. You serve whether it's appreciated. You serve freely without being sensitive. Uh, In a book that was written in 1981 by Chuck Colson, entitled, Who Speaks for God? I remember reading this many years ago, and as I was preparing, it came to mind. I went back and took a look at it. Uh, Colson said that on one occasion, a a very famous president was uh, making a pitch for serving other people and uh, not the government doing it all and all that kind of political kind of back and forth and And he said on the other side of the town in Washington, D.C., in a really impoverished part of the city, there was somebody else who was, well, equally famous, except much different. And uh, it was Mother Teresa. She had visited this underprivileged community in Washington, D.C., for which there are many underprivileged people there. And the reporters were all just hovering around. They were outside the church. They wanted to ask her questions. 
And one of the reporters uh, shouted out to her. Knowing her work of charity uh, with the Sisters of Charity, he said, why don't, why don't you use your influence to start a government program? You could help so many more people that way. And Mother Teresa very calmly replied that her call was to help people, not to begin programs. And they, then she and the sisters uh, moved into the neighborhood to share in the pain of the people and in some way to fulfill the law of Christ, as Paul would put it, fellowship of his sufferings in the life of others. He goes on to say that Mother Teresa's message was plain enough. Hear her, her words. Do something for someone else. Something that goes beyond the realm of a gift and into the category of a sacrifice for the sick, the unwanted, the crippled, the heartbroken, the aged, or the alone. Do something. Not pretentiously, quietly, when you see the need. So I have just a few practical steps um, that we can leave with as we think about service as a spiritual discipline. Here's just one suggestion. Maybe somebody today will think it uh, something they'd like to do. Write a letter of encouragement to someone. But don't sign your name. Put it in an envelope, no return address, and send it to them. Or how about this as an act of service? Slow down long enough to practice the discipline of listening. That, that one hits me hard because I'm a talker. I'm not as good a listener as I am a talker. Service is listening, just being quiet and listening. In, in some cultures, after someone passes away, they have an extended period called a wake. And friends of the one who lost the family member go to the home. And they sit with the family member for hours on end in complete silence. They don't say a word. They're just present. Perhaps that's a practical step of service this week somewhere along the way. Some that are more obvious. Volunteer at a local food bank or a soup kitchen. Just carve out some time. They're here. You can go. Nobody needs to know. Probably nobody will know you there, and that'll be good. Just serve someone. Here's another idea. How about if an act of service looked like this to guard the reputation of another person? How many of you just last week have heard somebody slandered in your workplace 
it's possible that an act of service would be to step up and defend that person. Or something very simple, but it it requires us to keep our eyes open. Look for an injustice, like that one or others. Look for an injustice and address it. That's an act of service. There's so many you could create for yourself, but I end with just one. Do something good for someone else without getting caught. Do something good without getting caught. It's an act of service. One of the disciplines we'll talk about is choosing humility. That's an interesting one because it seems like that when we choose to try to be humble, it backfires on us. But as several writers have mentioned in my reading this week, there's nothing that creates humility more than service. It's a pathway where we can follow Christ. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that you became uh, the servant of all. That you gave us a dramatic example when you illustrated it for the disciples. And you washed their feet. Which was really just culturally unacceptable. It even rose to the level of just being wrong. But that didn't impede your illustration of service. You, you showed them that it was right. And then you told them to do likewise. So here we are, Lord, privileged people, compared to the rest of the world, inordinately wealthy, compared to the impoverished around us, very rich, compared to those who don't have community, very blessed. So help us, Lord, to serve out of what has been given to us. Help us to love one another and to love your world just as you did. In the name of Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.